Hey everyone, welcome to the industry show. I'm your host, Nitin Bajaj, and joining us today is Dan O'Day, CEO and co-founder of ECFX. Dan, welcome on the show. And thank you so much. It's great to be here. So tell us who's Dan. <laughs> Who are we all? We're really all a product of our experiences, of course. So, well, uh, I grew up uh, when I was a young kid, about 10 years old, I started programming on a TRS-80. Um, then I ended up, uh, when I was 16 years old, working for my uncle's law firm as a court runner. And so uh, when it came time to go to college, I was torn between computers and the law. So I studied a little bit of both, really did philosophy as an undergrad, and uh, eventually decided to go to law school. I did it. I went through. I put my time in. I did the MBA as well. I had a business interest. So uh, I studied a lot, passed the bar, practiced for a year, and realized I really hate practicing law. <laughs> it is an adversarial prof profession. One of my professors in law school said it's the only job where everyone's trying to undo what you do. <laughs> And so as a result, I said, you know, I think I'll go back to technology. That way I feel like I'm building something, I'm creating something. Ultimately at my heart, what makes me happy is building things. And that can be something physical, like I do some woodworking, I might be a cabinet, but it's also building products, building companies. The creation, I think the creation process is where we as people add value. Mm -hmm. And I can see all of that in, in many different ways, it's all, coming together with uh, what you're doing. So why don't you tell us what is ECFX? ECFX, well, I like to say it's the SpaceX of electronic court filing. Nice. So uh, we are trying to land that booster rocket on that barge, uh, and that is uh, very exciting, right? It's all, you always wanna be challenged intellectually, and there are things that are done around the electronic court filing process, which is where the ECF obviously comes from, mm -hmm. that are complicated. And people say, hey, um, I have to do this day in and day out. I have to file these documents. I have to download these documents. It's not always put in the right place. It's not always managed the right way. Different offices do, do it differently. Different legal secretaries may do it differently. And our goal is to automate all that into one consistent and simple process so that humans can really focus on where they need their IQ, right? I don't believe people should be doing mundane work. Right. So let's talk about the, the court notice management space. How big is this opportunity? What really goes in and creates this value for your customers? So it's today it's a kind of balkanized, chaotic labyrinth. Right, so each court has its own system. Some courts have unified within a state. So if you look at a state like Illinois, they've gone just recently to the Odyssey e-file platform. Mm -hmm. But then you look at a state like California and each and every county is different. And so LA County has got a different system than Orange County has a different system than San Francisco. And it is a chaotic situation if you practice in more than one jurisdiction. If you work on just one system, and that's the only system you know, yeah, you can master that system. Still, these systems tend to be not designed with the user in mind. They're definitely built around what the court thinks is important and not what they think about usability. You know, so they are all pretty, uh, pretty heinous systems. And the interfaces definitely strike you as something out of the, uh, from 10 to 20 years ago. 
So what we do is we give you a unified interface, a single platform that allows you to see everything in one view in a consistent way across all the courts. Super simple. So within this space, yep. what are the bigger opportunities that you guys are working on or focusing on? Fair enough. So the, so the space is massive. So to give you an idea of scale, um, there are 84 million cases, depending on your source. So 84 million, maybe 60 million, there's somewhere in that range of cases filed each and every year in the US. Mm -hmm. We are the most litigious country in the world, um, followed by Australia on a per capita basis. Uh, so uh, we like to uh, have our day in court and to be heard. And each one of those cases has many filings. And when we initially started this company and we started to look at those filings, we were estimating about 10 or 12 filings per case. We found out we way underestimated this market. There are, there are cases with thousands of filings, but even an average case has way more than that, has probably three or four times more of the volume that we thought was there. So we thought the volume was in the billions. It's in the many billions, right? To give you an idea. It's, it's a very large market. Sue Happy Nation, right? <laughs> Sue, Sue Happy Nation. But you look at something like the bankruptcies that are happening now with COVID. Yeah. Each one of those bankruptcies, they're going to have tens of thousands of filings. Yeah. Every creditor will be making multiple filings. Everyone's got thousands and thousands of creditors. Mm -hmm. Some of them are probably going to pass up Puerto Rico in terms of the amount of filings. So Puerto Rico has the record at, uh, at a thousand filings a day, each and every day of the year mm -hmm. on average. Uh, but uh, we'll see some of these bankruptcy cases may give them a run for their money. This is, this is an interesting trivia, right? How many, how many cases or how many filings per case and which state has the most per capita? And uh, well, I mean, this could be a, this could be a good gaming session. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, and we're finding more and more information because there isn't really a central source that has it all worked out. There is. Uh, there is the Center for Courts, which has a lot of the information, but that's a lot of survey data. It's not a lot of actual hard numbers. Which is interesting because I would have thought that a lot of this data is in public domain, right? Not the documents maybe themselves, but just the, the data itself of how many cases are out there and how many hearings are happening. I would have thought not knowing obviously any of the specifics, but it seems like that's not the case. No, mostly because the data isn't in a consistent format, recorded, it isn't in consistent systems. You look at a situation like LA County that has four or five different systems for the various courts. So you ask them how many cases they got. Well, are you talking civil? Are you talking criminal? Are you talking traffic? Mm -hmm. You know, it gets to be a bit of a, a mess. There are, um, there are around 16,000 unique court jurisdictions in the US. Jeez. Yeah. Well. And then the, the different case types that you just mentioned. So just case types. Yeah. You know, this is going to say, it, it is interesting. It, in some of these systems, they even say, even our case numbers may not be accurate. Like the ID for your case. So you should double check when you use the case ID to make sure that that case ID actually matches the case that you're supposed to be a party to. Oh my God. Because it may not be correct. I'm, I'm laughing on the outside, but inside I'm just, <laughs> I'm terrified. Well, this is definitely a system that's several hundred years old and you feel it.
Yeah, I thought when you said, you know, the, the UI of it is 10 or 20 years old, I, I had a feeling you were being extremely nice. They, they, well, that's because that's when the UIs came about, came into existence. Before that, it was all paper. So when I was a court runner, when I was a 16-year-old, I used to go down to the courthouse, and I'd bring in my documents, and I'd have multiple copies, and, and they would stamp them with what they call to make them conforming. They're all the match. They would check, and they make sure all the copies matched. They would stamp them, and you would leave, and you'd serve them on the other parties, and it was all done at a window. And if you had a problem, you'd fix it right there. They'd say, oh, this is incorrect, and you just like mark it out, write something else in, change it, and then you file it. Uh, it got to the point where at the local courthouse, um, they knew me well enough that they're like, oh, yeah, you can go make your own copies on the copier. I don't, you know, the, the clerk there was like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> nice. Nice. From, from ECFX perspective, mm -hmm. what's the, you know, tell us a little more about when did you guys start? What's the, you know, going from MVP to launch to what you guys are focusing on right now? between the various jurisdictions and the different types of filing. Right. So uh, we started the company uh, in Q1 of 2019. Mm -hmm. We really started coding in the March, April timeframe. Uh, we went with a client first approach. So the first thing we did was we got a couple very large firms, including the world's largest law firm, mm -hmm. to agree that they would uh, like a product like this. And so uh, we built it out to their specifications, and ultimately, we went with the course that they have. I'm a big believer in the long tail. I don't know if you've read that book, but yes. it's uh, the basic principle and then Amazon and other companies have been built on is that typically, the head of the tail is where all the excitement is. So people focus on New York. They focus on the federal court pacer system. They might focus on LA County, mm -hmm. but they don't think about Madison County. They don't think about Missouri right? But these large firms have cases in all of these jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. When you look at it, it's a classic long tail where the area in all the jurisdictions is biggest in the area at the head, of the, at the head, if you will, in the largest jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're doing. We're tackling this as a long tail problem. And the way I talk to my customers and, and our commitment to them is if you're there, we're there. Yeah. So, you know, it takes us a couple of days to get a new court up online. So we do need a couple of days notice, but we can do it pretty quickly now. We've got it down to a clear method. We've done, uh, we've done several of these now. We've done at least, uh, well, we've done nine different systems and probably in those nine systems, there's multiple formats and multiple providers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're probably getting 14 or 15 different uh, combinations there. Okay. And who is, let's drill down a little bit on that. Who's your typical customer? And how do you license your product? Today, as of right now, our typical customer is an AM Law 200 law firm mm -hmm. that uh, has a lot of litigation and practices in multiple jurisdictions, and we license it transactionally. So mm -hmm. they like that because they only pay for what they use. So mm -hmm. they can say, all right, it makes sense for this case to use it, but on this other case, we might not use it. Or, you know what, we're going to roll this out. The way they want to roll it out is often office-based or attorney-based. So again, our model makes it super simple to roll out. Also, they can recover these costs from their clients. Some firms do, some firms don't. Some clients pay, some clients don't. It's, but at least we can give them a, a specific cost for a specific transaction that took place at a specific time. Okay. So. Makes sense. And in terms of the, 
the product and the service, do you allow filing with different kinds of courts and in, in within that? So for example, are you doing Supreme, uh, Supreme Court uh, or the district court and then civil cases and also criminal cases? Right, so our first product is pro processing notifications. So that's where the stuff is incoming into the firm. We handle all of that. So we say, all right, it's criminal, civil, and that's why we have variations within, in a court. So a court might have a different format. A lot of times in the federal court PACER system, the bankruptcy court notices are different than the regular civil notices. So we have to handle all those different situations. And absolutely, that's what we do. Okay. And is there a, you know, you, you mentioned there is 16,000 jurisdictions based off of what you said, even within the system, there are variations. Yeah. As you're defining and building this, I, I get a sense that you're building a platform that to work with all these different variations. There end up, there will end up being somewhere between two to 800 ultimately, we believe. Wow. Um, and we're, you know, 20 or so into that. So maybe we're 10% of the way there. Um, so yeah, there's a lot. Uh, the, the good news is we've got it down to a system now, the platform's built. Honestly, the variations are a fraction of the time compared to the platform. The investment goes into the platform into all the rigorous logic needed around that. The little variations are relatively easy to tackle. They're just modules that are now being snapped onto the, to the main platform. Uh, correct. What you find is, oh, uh, well, they put the court name in a different location or they, they you know, prefix things differently or the court numbering format varies. Um, well, yeah, that's one of the favorite things is that uh, the numbering systems can vary. Their own internal numbering system, like what you use to log into their system and identify your case can be a different way of inputting that, like with dashes or spaces than the number on the notice itself. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we, we've tackled and um, being aware of that is half the battle. Just knowing where to look for it, what it's likely to be. So. I would think this kind of a system, just given, you know, it, it sounds like a joke, but just, just the amount of time savings, right, that this will result in, give us a sense for when a law firm signs up with you, what kind of savings are they looking to expect? Right. So we are estimating, we're going to do some case studies on this. We're estimating a 90 to 93%, 94% cost savings somewhere in there. Uh, because today humans are doing this work. So you got a human being, they're going in, they're logging in, they're downloading documents, they're profiling them, storing them in DMS, recording time, sending information to other attorneys. A lot of times in a law firm, one or two attorneys get notified, but 20 may need to know about it. Mm -hmm. So they're forwarding. They're essentially, the analogy I like to make is that law firms still have switchboard operators. Right. Except instead of routing telephone calls around, they're routing emails around. Yeah. And just like no firm today still has a switchboard operator, mm -hmm. at some point, no firm should have a person routing emails around. True. So just to make sure I understand, you said 90 to 94% time savings. What would that be in terms of a return on investment for someone getting the system? So the average fully loaded legal secretary paralegals in the 70 something K range. I mean, that's national average and obviously certain markets like New York are more expensive and stuff. Um, and so uh, that person is spending typically 
10 to 15 minutes on one of these. Maybe if they're if super efficient, we found people who can do it in, in as little as five to eight minutes, mm -hmm. but that varies, right? So let's say that that worked out to $37 an hour. Well, let's make it, let's make the math easier for all of us here. We'll say that it's $30 an hour, mm -hmm. which is 50 cents a minute, yeah. right? We charge a fraction of what, let's say it's 10 minutes and that's five bucks. We charge less than $5, right? So, less. so you're definitely breaking even right, yeah. right away. Okay. Yeah. Immediate um, return on investment. Your return on investment happens right away. It, it just it just baffles me that you know there is there's all this switchboard stuff happening and and there isn't a system like yours till now that just comes right in and, and just wipes out the whole having to shift all these documents around you know that the why now question comes up a lot and the answer is because it's really only been in the past 36 months mm -hmm. 18 to 36 months that most courts have gone electronic hmm. Some, a lot of cases are still done by paper today. So let's not forget that there are still paper routing systems. They still have to deal with it. Every firm that we're working with also has a fax machine <laughs> on some floor in some location to deal with the fax filing requirements. So COVID, thankfully, uh, a, a positive out, outside effect. And this is obviously a terrible thing. And so there's really, there's truly a silver lining around a cloud is that uh, it forced a lot of people to, to actually do the e-filing that we're still doing paper filing. So. And I'm guessing even the courts would have accelerated their process. Well, they don't have to, but I'm getting- Well, they did. They basically said you can only e-file during the, while we're shut down for COVID. You don't have a choice. You can't come in here with any paper. We're not, we're not open for-, for What are the courts that still accept uh, paper? Have you- heard or, or gotten some response from them if they have now started looking at this to do e-filing? So, so some states, the, the e-filing order in most cases was the mandatory e-filing in some states is permanent, in some states it's temporary. Mm -hmm. It varies by jurisdiction, like everything in our legal system. Mm -hmm. uh, some jurisdictions are allowing you to do a drop-off of a paper file. Mm -hmm. But obviously, it's more efficient to do the e-filing. So. so bringing it back to your roadmap right, for the company and for the product, where does ECFX go from here? Are you looking at you know, introducing a new line of products or expanding, using this COVID space to branch off and, and go heavy on marketing? Give, give us a sense for the, the roadmap. Right. So the, the logical place to where we're going from here is on the filing side. So we're dealing with notices. The first product, ECFX notice, is out, available. Uh, clients are live on it. And we're working on the roadmap for the next one, which is the filing product. Mm -hmm. And that's going to allow you to file in any jurisdiction from one, unit, one interface, right? And I want to make it so simple that all is the attorney has to do, and this is the landing the booster on the barge problem. Mm -hmm. I want to get it to the point where all they have to do is hit reply to one of our notices and attach the file and we take care of it. Yeah. That's the vision. Okay. So you want to be the launch pad. You, you hit a button and then it just blasts it off to anyone and everyone who needs to know and you forget about it. Correct. You can forget about it. We take care of it. 
it's done. You sit there comfortably in your dragon capsule and yep. <laughs> we got it. We got you covered. So when is that dream coming to life? Uh, it's, well, that's going to take some more time. These yeah. things always do. And so uh, we are in the process of laying that out. I can't give you a date today, um, but uh, it's going to depend on a number of factors. Um, we are in the process of considering a series A round for investment. So that can impact things. So there's a lot of variables in these equations, but there's a vision, there's a direction, there's clear actions we can take to get there. So it's really only a matter of time. This is also exciting. And I want to bring this back to, to you. After 20 years as a career professional, why entrepreneurship? <laughs> uh, so that's, a, that's an excellent question. Uh, I might ask the question, why did I spend 20 years as a career professional? <laughs> now, now that I've done the entrepreneurial thing, uh, maybe I should have done it sooner. But actually, I I'm gained a lot of skills and a lot of valuable stuff. Uh, through the process. I actually was my own consult. I was a technology consultant for law firms before I went to work at Elite. Mm -hmm. For those that don't know Elite in the legal space, they were acquired by a much bigger company called Thomson Reuters, right? So that's kind of my background is working in the large law firm segment after being a small law firm consultant. So I was an entrepreneur in the sense I was a consultant. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but that's a lot of hustle. Being a consultant is a job where half the time you're selling and half the time you're working, but you yeah. can't do both at the same time. Yes. So, yeah. so it is, uh, um, I learned a lot uh, through that career. And uh, honestly, I can say it's kind of foundational. I wouldn't be here today, but for that. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the skills, say maybe top three skills that you brought with you from your nine to five days that is standing you in good stead right now? So I would, I would start out with just general organizational skills, just your general, like knowing what you need to do in a day and how to get through all of it and stay organized on it, right? That's key. Uh, I would add to that the empathy towards people working on a, a large company. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't the most empathetic person when I was 27 years old, right? Mm -hmm you get to understand so much more about people and the value of people and the value of their opinions. And that is super critical because I have to listen a lot more in order to be successful. I just got to, you know, yeah. and then say, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned that in working for a large organization and finally just your general day to day. Well, here, you know, here's what you need to do financially to keep track of the numbers. Here's what you, here's how the accounts are set up. Here's how we track revenue. Here's how we track expenses, all that generic management stuff. So it's, it's made, is it fair to say that this has made you a more well-rounded person? That is a good question. I would have to have other people answer that question. I think. That, that, that also speaks to your humility, right? The, the one thing that, uh, that you didn't list, but I can vouch for is uh, I've known you about 10 years now and you've always been very approachable and very down to earth. You've had senior management positions for a large firm like Thomson Reuters, uh, but you never had any air about it. You were very approachable and you still continue to be. So please add that to your list of attributes. Thank uh, you. That's very kind. That's very kind.
it, it is what it is and you know credit is due where, where it is so uh, tell me what as an entrepreneur what keeps you up at night <laughs> what doesn't <laughs> i think there's a i think if we looked at the the universe it may seem like a small set but if i look at what i think about every day it seems like a very large set <laughs> um the number one thing that keeps me up at night is the system failing on one of our clients mm -hmm. right so if the system was to go down or to stop operating i've got like little pagers and all this stuff we've got special services set up there's all these great third-party services you can mm -hmm. license to wake you up in the middle of the night if something goes wrong <laughs> But um, that is number one on the list always. Of course, number two on the list is until a company is cash flow positive, which we are not, mm -hmm. you have to be like, okay, let's watch that and make sure we manage the cash until we get to cash flow positive. In terms of, you know, as you're, as you're running this ship, mm -hmm. what, give us a flair for what your typical day looks like. Well, there is no typical day in some sense, right? But there are some. So every day we have a daily stand-up with the development team, right? So every day meeting with the development team, getting the latest, what's going on, making sure we're focused on the right things, right? So that happens every day. Mm -hmm. uh, most days we'll have client meetings of some type, and that could be with an existing client or a prospect. I, you know, all of that falls into that category. Mm -hmm. um, so we have sales calls, if you will, or you know, demos um, that show the clients the product, talk to them about, you know, does this meet your needs? Where does the solution fit? To talking to the existing clients about how's it working for you? What can we improve on? Uh, for a period of time, there was a lot of pitching, a lot of uh, going out there to raise money. That took up a lot of time in the early days. Uh, then we closed that round in December of last year, and so. Thankfully, up until this month, I have not had to pitch. That is changing, right? As of as of right about now. So I will be going out and doing the road shows again. But by going out, it'll mostly be virtual until such time as we're traveling again. And uh, so my days will be a lot of looking at investors, what makes sense. You know, it's an interesting dance to figure out what's right for both parties. So. Yeah, and also finding the, the right kind of investor, right? You just don't want any check. It has to come from the, hopefully from, if, if that's what you're looking at, right? If, yeah, if, no, it, you're spot on. it. So it, it has to be someone whose goals are aligned with your goals, who can say, okay, we're not going to be a unicorn. We're a legal tech company in the legal space. And even though there is a billion dollar industry to be had here, the practicalities and fragmentation in the market make it so, you know, but several hundred million dollars. Yep. Absolutely. We could get to several hundred million dollars. That's very realistic. So you have to have the right, you know, someone who's looking for the next Airbnb or Uber isn't as interested in us as someone who's looking for, yeah, I'm, I'm good as long as I get this multiple on my investment. Right. And you have the right, the right founding team and the right leadership in place to take advantage of that and, and scale not a not like a rocket ship but definitely maybe like a i don't know i'll let you <laughs> give that analogy <laughs> yeah we were able to ramp up uh if, if not a rocket ship more maybe more like an airplane right yeah. so um keep gaining altitude each yeah. and every year so yeah i mean i i am lucky to have 
uh, Nelson Quintero and Bill Birch as co-founders. And um, Nelson is a patent lawyer, very intelligent, very capable. And Bill has been in the industry for 25, 30 years and is well known. And he ran sales for all of Alita Thompson Reuters. And so he knows what it looks like to have, oh yeah, I need to sell $150 million this year. So, yes. Yeah. Where do you see yourself maybe three years out from now? I see myself here, in, but with more customers and, and more products and happier, more happy people. I mean, the existing clients are happy, thankfully, but I want more happy clients and more. Ha honestly, I want employees who are satisfied and, and go to work every day and are excited to be at, at work um, so far remotely, but you know, excited to get up and go, oh, this looks interesting. This is something I need to work on. I'm excited to do it. Yeah. And in terms of your own inspiration and motivation, what, what are the sources? Wow, there's a lot of those, right? Sources of inspiration and motivation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we can get very philosophical if we want to. I'm a, I'm a big fan of existential philosophy in, in many areas. I believe you are a product of your environment, as I mentioned early on when we started talking. Mm -hmm. um, when I think of things like um, uh, the book Enlightenment Now, about enlightenment thinking, I think you know, I, I have some concerns about where we're going as a, uh, as a country, as in multiple countries, you're going away from critical thinking. I'm a huge fan of looking at everything critically. I don't like this polarization of ideas. I don't like the, this self-feeding um, thing where, oh, you clicked on this article, so you must want more of that type of news, and it just gets to be a downward spiral. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess one thing I would like to uh, make sure that I do every day is challenge myself to be open-minded and consider both sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. But if I were to if I were to press you on that a little bit, in sure. terms of, <clears throat> you know, it, it almost sounded like you want to do something because it's going in a direction where it shouldn't be going what makes you go further into that direction as, as your source of inspiration? Excellent, excellent way to reframe the question. And, and yes, yeah, so what, I, what propels me is just the success of building something. So what inspires me is that something works. Yeah. So, you know, it gets very, like when something doesn't work, it's frustrating, right? It's, uh, this happens. Let's say you're doing something relatively, uh, relatively simple, like you're putting together some Ikea furniture, <laughs> right? Not always simple, not always simple. It's relatively, it's, there's a scale here, right? They, if so it wasn't, there is a difference in IQ levels here, so I, I'm always... Uh, <laughs> yes, you're much smarter than I am, I can accept <laughs> that. So um, here's what I'll say, is that, well, IKEA makes their furniture so that 99.9% .9 of the population should be able to put it together, right? I mean, otherwise they would have a business problem, right? I've always been the outstanding student. I always got kicked out. So <laughs> you're definitely in the top one tenth of one percent. <laughs> Bottom. We're looking at it the other way around. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> yeah, it's an exclusive club. <laughs> so, um, but when you when it doesn't work together, to to your point, let's say you're in a situation, and I've definitely put the left hand thing on the right hand side accidentally and had to take it apart and redo it. Right. So I I've, I've been there. Yes. Um, and. But when you get it together, you're like, 
you're even satisfied with that. Like, hey, I put this thing together. It was a bunch of boards, mm -hmm. and now it exists, yeah. and it, it occupies it again. To kind of my ex, it exists. There's this thing, and and software, while it is not tangible in the sense you can touch it, it is tangible in the sense of you can see it doing stuff and it's processing and people are being impacted by its behavior. People go, wow, this is great, right? Um, you know, one partner at our client said, this is a game changer for those of us who practice in multiple jurisdictions. That's what I love to hear. That gets me motivated. I want to do more of that. I want people who use the product to feel like their life is better because of this software. Mm -hmm. And that makes me feel good. Building technology with purpose. Right. The purpose is not to distract you or to put you down some rabbit hole. I'm not building a game here. I'm doing something to make your life easier, your professional life easier, and just make it more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Have you ever used a coach or a mentor? I have. I've used coaches many times. I, I have a coach now. I had some at TR. I mentors, I am blessed with several mentors. Our advisory board is made up of three people I consider mentors. Mm -hmm. um, you, absolutely, you can't, I don't think you can go through life successfully without being able to have people to inspire you and to, who you can talk to and just ask questions of and say, am I on the right track or is my head in the wrong place? Right. Sometimes my head is in the wrong place. <laughs> oh, and, you know, unless we go there, we don't appreciate the, when we are in the right place. Right? That's true, too. That's, a good, that's well said. How do you go about finding these coaches and, and mentors? Well, in this case, mostly through my professional life, right? So it was, they were people who I work with, and I'm like, wow, that person's impressive. And they make really good decisions, and I like the way they think. And, I could be, if I was more like them, I would be more satisfied with who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. so. True. In terms of, you know, as, as we are talking about getting inspiration and, and uh, having these coaches and mentors, are there books and podcasts that you listen to or you would want to share with others that, uh, that are your favorites? Uh, yeah, well, so it, so it depends on what you're looking for. See, I have a quite the eclectic mix. I like a book called Godel, Escher, and Bach, which is about mm -hmm. all sorts of different topics. Um, and I mentioned Enlightenment Now. Yeah. Um, for people who are more interested in the business side, you know, focused on industry startups, mm -hmm. I definitely recommend Lean Startup yeah. and The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Those are two great, magnificent books about being a startup and, and going through some difficult times in one case, and in the other case, just the, the element of learning. Right that there is a metric for uh, a startup, which is called learning, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, that's, that's key to understand. Um, podcasts, again, on the entrepreneurial side, I love the pitch. I don't know if you've listened to it. It's a, it's a, okay. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And then there's a local one here, uh, Expert Jojo. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. yeah, by Brian, yeah, yeah. And love so it's a, it's a fantastic one, and uh, he's a great guy, and I love listening to it, so. Sweet. Now, I know living the life you're living and building the things you're building, I'm sure your day has more than 24 hours. So what do you do for fun? Uh, for fun. So, um, well, you know, I am, I'm actually, uh, I do a couple things. One is I do woodworking. So I 
sometimes uh, build cabinets and things like that. But I also am a gamer, so I will do like, and I'm talking about like board games and role playing games and those kinds of games. So now if I get together with friends virtually on Zoom, we'll play games virtually and, and do that to relax. Nice. What's um, I, I love board games as well. So what's what's maybe one or two of your favorites? Uh, so board game wise, uh, so it depends. So if on who I'm playing with. So I like uh, one of the games I like a lot is a game called Skype. Okay. which is a really advanced board game. Uh, Zolkin is a lot of fun, but that's a really advanced worker placement style game. Uh, here uh, at home, we play a lot of um, Azul, which is a game which is about different tiles that you place on the board. So you're familiar with some of these, yes. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, those are like, that's just a colorful tile game, logic game where you're just trying to optimize for the most points. Right. And it's very visually, uh, aesthetically pleasing. So, nice. It, it's hard to have the same kind of fun on Zoom. Right? It it just doesn't. Just doesn't. Yeah, it does not translate. I agree. It it, it is it is much better in person uh, with your friends and a, and a glass of wine and just sitting there and yeah. talking about things. Yeah. Even this, you know, I mean, we have to do what we have to do, but uh, it's so much better in person. It is indeed that that well. You, one of the reasons we don't have COVID under control in this country yes. is because it's just not human nature, and we are not without the government taking a tougher stance. We're not in. We don't like this. No one does. It's not pleasant. Yes. Well, I was hoping not to end on a sad note. So why don't you tell us a joke now? <laughs> <laughs> a joke. I only know dad jokes. I got I got a whole. Litany of dad jokes. Okay, let's do one of those and maybe a lawyer joke. Okay, I got lawyer jokes too. So a dad joke. Uh, you know, uh, all uh, you know that uh, all mammals have hair, right? Mm -hmm. And um, whales are mammals, right? Mm -hmm. Therefore, we should shave the whales. That's <laughs> <laughs> lawyer joke. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of those. What's the difference between uh, a bottom sucking scum. Uh, what's what's sorry. <laughs> what's the difference between a lawyer and a catfish? Well, I wouldn't know. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> one one is a bottom sucking scum feeder, and the other is a fish. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh my God. Then yeah, just... this is why I'm not on the comedy circuit. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get a call from the to do a stand-up uh, show. Hey, you never know. Uh, you know, I I might be able to hook you up on. We could do maybe Thursday night comedy or something like that. Yeah, Thursday night comedy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there are, there are people who do this for a living, and they're very good at it, and I enjoy watching them do it. <laughs> well, you need both, right? You you need you need an audience to appreciate the people who do go up on the stage. That's true. Good and this was, this was amazing. Thank you for making the time. I really enjoyed this conversation and getting to learn more about your entrepreneurial journey. And uh, we wish you continued success. And we are looking forward to bringing you back on. Hopefully things have opened up and we're doing this in person uh, the next time around. Ned and I would love that. That would be fantastic. And uh, I look forward to that day. Yeah. And uh, good luck with the... Uh, 
with the Series A, and uh, we'd be happy to share that with our audience. And uh, as soon as the details become available, we'll we'll share it with the audience and in our community. Great, that's fantastic. Greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, Dan. Have a great day. Thanks.